Quote, Americans revere the Bible, but by and large they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. This quote came from a, from a recent article entitled, Increasingly America is Biblically Illiterate. This is a growing problem that we face today, not just in the world, but unfortunately this is a problem that arises within the church. Tonight's lesson is going to serve as a reminder kind of lesson. We've all heard lessons about reading our Bible. We've all heard lessons about how important it is to study. And maybe you don't have this problem, but I know from time to time I do, and that is that I tend to put aside reading my Bible on a regular basis. I was going to hold this until later, but I'll go ahead and say it now. Edwin can attest to this for me. He and I and his brother-in-law, Nathan Williams, down in Birmingham, and if Edwin listens to this, he'll chuckle at this point. We were involved together in a daily Bible reading, and we would post our thoughts online and that, and that kind of stuff. We had a blog set up, and it went really well for a few months. And then some things happened, and we missed a couple of weeks, and I missed a couple of weeks, and my couple of weeks has tended to draw on a few more while Nathan and Edmund continue to read. And Nathan sort of, I mean, uh, Edmund sort of busted me the other day about it, asking me if I, if I had forgotten what the web address was or if I had forgotten how to type and those kind of things. But I think there's, this can be a very big problem. In this article that I just quoted from, I want to share with you something. And some of the things I'm about to share with you, you might find somewhat humorous, and they are. But at the same time, it's very sad. In this article, they decided that they would take a survey of so-called Christians, people who said they went to church on a regular basis, people who claimed to know the Word of God. And I want you to listen to a few of the results. In asking several Christians uh, these questions, they found that fewer than half of all adults could name the four Gospels. Of those that were surveyed, many professing, professing Christians could not identify more than two or three of the Apostles. Sixty percent of those uh, surveyed could not even name five of the Ten Commandments. Eighty-two percent of the Americans believe that God helps those who help themselves is a verse in the Bible. This is a funny one. Twelve percent of Americans who claim to be Christians go to church every, every week. Twelve percent thought that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. We laugh. But think about how sad that is. A survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% of the graduating high school seniors, we have young people in our midst, over 50% of those surveyed thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And a considerable number of respondents to this one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was presented by Billy Graham. We laugh at these, and they are somewhat humorous. But think about what that says about not only just the world, but people who claim to be Christians, who claim to go to church, who claim to read the Bible, and they think that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. How sad is that that, we have, that, that people have taken the Word of God and instead of treasuring it as the precious mind of God, God breathed something that we, that we dive into on a regular basis. We've taken it as something as a book that we pick up when we come to church and we put it back in the trunk or on the, or on the shelf when we get home. 
Tonight I want us to talk about this problem of biblical illiteracy. Because this, this, this problem, this poison, it can wreak havoc in the lives of individuals, in the lives of the church, and in the lives of the communities in which we live. And if there's going to be a change, it's going to, it's going to have to start with us. Before we can go out and we can tell the brother about the speck in his eye, we have to take care of the plank that's in our own eye. Let's go to God in prayer and then we'll begin our study together. Our God and Father in heaven, we are so grateful to you again for this time that you've allowed us to set aside to come together and to be with you and to study your word. And we thank you, Father, for the beautiful day that you've blessed us with and for another opportunity to gather together. Father, we thank you so much for your word and how it instructs us in the way that we should go. We thank you, Father, for revealing your mind to us and revealing your heart and your will for us. Father, help us to be better Bible students. Help us to be more diligent to read our Bibles and to realize, Father, that without your word we would be lost. Without your guidance we would have no direction in our life. Father, help us to treasure this, uh, these words as something more precious to us than anything we can ever possess. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We especially thank you for your Son and you sending him to die for our sins. Bless us, Father, in our study this evening and bless us as we go forward. In Christ's name, amen. When we consider this problem of the illiteracy of the Bible, consider first the effect that it has on individuals. As we look back through history, we look into the Old Testament, we find that God's people have always been destroyed for a lack of knowledge. If you have an Old Testament, if you turn back to the book of Hosea, and specifically Hosea chapter 4, this idea that the fact when God's word is taken away from the people, the people suffer, the people are destroyed, it's nothing new. We see this as an example in the children of Israel and the children of Judah when they totally took God out of their picture. When they no longer listened to the reading of the word of God and they no longer considered God, what happened to them? The nations were destroyed. They were taken away into captivity. Everything that they had built, everything they had done was taken away from them. Consider Hosea chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Hosea the prophet writes, Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a, has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. Continue down to verse 6. My people are destroyed. Why? For a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. What's the charge that God is bringing against them here? You're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You see, when, when people decide to go away from the Word of God, we decide to take these words and close it up and set it aside and do our own thing. History shows us where that's going to lead. You think about what will happen to us in our individual life if we decide we're going to close up the Word of God and we're going to set it aside. Or it's something maybe we're only going to pull out when it's time to come to worship. Over in the book of Amos, this is a very interesting study. If you, if you look at Amos chapter 8, the prophet Amos here, he prophesies about a famine that's going to come. But it's interesting because it's not a famine for food or a famine for water. What he prophesies about is a famine for the Word. Because what God is saying is He's going to close up. He's no longer going to reveal His Word to the people. And listen to what it said in Amos chapter 8, uh, beginning around verse 11. Behold, days are, co are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. 
not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the beautiful virgins and the young men will faint from thirst. Not a thirst for water, not a, not a hunger for food. What are they going to faint from? Because there is no word of God. You see, to the Christian, to the one who is truly devoted to God, the Word of God is vital. The Word of God is the bread. The Word of God is the water. It's what keeps us going. How many of us haven't eaten today? I ate twice. Had a snack before I came to services. How many of us would, just, would as, as we leave here tonight, would say, you know, that's... That was really good. I'm not going to eat again, though, until Wednesday. Some of us may, which cannot be good for us, to cut back on what we eat. But most of us, what are we going to do? We're going to eat between now and Wednesday when we come back, aren't we? Are we going to eat on the Word of God? Are we going to feast on the Word of God, on the bread and on the water of the mind of God? You see? What were the people, what was was the prophecy in Amos? They're going to thirst for the Word. Because the Word was going to be taken away from them. Because they had no regard for it. Without the knowledge of the Word of God, what does a person have? Or what does a person not have, rather? You remember what, what David said about the Word of God in Psalm 119? and 105, you could probably quote it. Your Word is what? It is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Word of God is what gives us direction. The Word of God is what points us in the right way. What happens when we take that away? We have no joy. We have no peace. We have no direction in life. If you're already turning there, turn over to Psalm 119. I, as, you, as you study the, the, the life of David, you come to find out just how, how deeply he appreciated the Word of God and how much it meant to him. Consider Psalm 19 and verse 111. Psalm 19, verses 111, and here's what David said. He said, I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. The testimony of God was the joy in David's life. Look over a few more verses in in, uh, verse 165. What does David say? Those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. Nothing causes them to stumble. You turn back over to Psalm chapter 1 and you read the very beginning there where David is talking about the Word of God and the one who dwells in it. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is where? It is in the law of the Lord. And what is he going to say? That person who is, who is grounded in, the, in the, the Word of God is like a tree that is standing by the water that is never going to be moved. How many people do we know are out there and they're just lost. They're wandering. They're trying to figure out what it's all about. They have no idea. They have no direction. They just they go this way one day and when that turns bad, they, they turn around they'll go the other way until they figure out something else and then they'll... Where is the direction? It's in the Word of God. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Show me the way that I should go. But how are we going to know where to go if we take the Word and we close it up? By the way, this, this is a great plug for evangelism at this point. Because you do have people out there who are just lost and they're wandering and they have no idea where, they have no idea which way is right. 
We have the way that is right. We can take it to them. We can show it to them. But before we can take it and show it to them, we have to know it ourselves. You see, this, this, this poison of biblical illiteracy, this, this idea that we no longer take the Word of God and cherish it and dwell upon it and feast upon it daily, it can have a tremendous effect on our life, on our individual life. But then, from there, it can have an effect on the church. What was one of the accusations that the Hebrew writer made against those to whom he was writing? In Hebrews chapter 8. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse... I mean, I'm sorry, not chapter 8, chapter 5, rather. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. What was, what was the accusation? He said, For this time you ought to be teachers. Yet you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. You see, those who are going to teach must first be students. And as part of being a student, we, is, we sit and we feast upon the Word of God, and we train our senses, and we understand what the Word of God is. Then we can turn around and we can teach it to others. But you see what you, you see the ripple effect here? If you and I don't take the time to study the Word of God ourselves, when someone comes and they ask us to be able to teach a Bible class, well, I don't know it well enough myself. How can I teach someone else? Or someone comes and says, I have a neighbor that I would love for us to study with. Can you sit down and, and, and tell them about what you believe and why you believe it and, and help them to understand? Well, the preacher can. You see, when it, when it affects us as individuals, then it begins to affect the church. Because churches who need teachers can't find them because there aren't those who have, who have spent time studying the Word. Churches are led astray by false teachers and by false doctrine because they, they don't know error when it's taught. You know, Peter warned about this in Second Peter chapter 2. In Second Peter chapter 2, uh, beginning in... Uh, what did I say? Second Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Peter warns, he says, that false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. It's no different today. We know there are people out there who are teaching things that are contrary to the Word of God. In the name of God, they're out there teaching, but they're obviously teaching an error. But you see, if you and I aren't spending time with the Word of God, someone could stand up here and could teach blatant error, and how are we going to know the difference? That's what Peter's warning about here. If we're not spending time with the Word of God ourselves, understanding what it is, understanding what God's will is, you see, there are churches that are dying on the vine or they're going into wholesale apostasy because their members cannot discern between truth and error. And you see, this, this, this ripple effect is taking place. It affects our lives as individuals. Then it begins to affect our lives, or the life of the church, rather. Then it begins to affect the communities that are all around us and the communities in which we live and the society in which we live. If you think about it, our standards of morality have been skewed. Where good is evil and evil is good and everything is looked upon as, as okay and just whatever you choose to do. Again, you go back into the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 5. This is a very telling statement that is made here. In Isaiah chapter 5 and in verse 20, this warning is issued. 
that I believe is sometimes overlooked and we need to make sure that we are aware of. And as we study the Word of God, we come upon these things and we realize what is being, what is being talked about and the example that is being made. Look at Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. Listen to the warning that is issued. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the, one, of the ones who are in the right. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You think we have that problem today in our society? Where we allow children to be... We allow the innocent to be murdered in abortion, but yet we spare the guilty by, by the court systems letting them go. We award the wicked. We take the wicked, such as the movie stars, the sports stars, and the ones who transgress the will of God. We take them and we put them up on a pedestal and we look at them and we exalt them, but we don't give honor to the ones who truly deserve the honor. The godly mothers who stay at home and raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The ones who are out there going to far off places like Brother Deason is who are going over to the Ukraine to preach the gospel. How many times do we see a sports story or, or a news story that takes a movie star or an athlete and they put them up on this pedestal? How many news stories and how many, how many things do we see talking about preachers that are going off into these places to preach the gospel? Divorce is made easy. Adultery is looked upon lightly. Fornication is known as an affair or, an, or another relationship. Homosexuality is known as an alternate lifestyle. You see, where are all these things coming from? They're not coming from the Word of God. They're coming because the Word of God is being shut and it's not being read, it's not being studied, it's not being applied. The effect of such things destroys families. You have these evils that are allowed to spread in the name of freedom. Things such as pornography and promiscuity, they are allowed, to, they're allowed in and they rip families apart. Children are deprived of the, kind of, of the kind of family that God intended them to have. The saying goes that if we don't learn from history, then we are doomed to repeat it. Do you remember the statement that was made in Judges chapter 21? If, if, if you remember back when, when, you, had all, when you had these great... You had these great uh, Kings, you had these great prophets, and you had Joshua, and you had all these men who were so faithful to God and who, who understood what God wanted them to do. And you remember the bold statement of Joshua and how he said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the effect of that went on, that even after Joshua died, the elders who remained remained faithful. But then after those elders died, what began to happen? What did it say? It said a generation arose who did not know God. And then by the time you get to Judges chapter 21... In verse 25, what does it say? It says that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. It was no longer about what God wanted. It was no longer about what the Word of God said. It was what felt good, what sounded good, what looked good. That's what we're going to do. What happened to them? We look back upon the children of Israel and we think, how sad. They had the promised land right there and it was taken away from them because they, they left the Word of God. Well, what's going to happen if today everyone, society, us, everyone takes the Word of God and they shut it and they put it on a shelf? 
God is not going to allow that to go unchecked. He is not going to allow that to happen with there being no, re- no repercussions. But here's the thing. As bad as that is, as bad as it sounds when we talk about it breaking down us as individuals and, and, and as a church and as a community, there is something that we can do about it. It's not a hopeless situation. Is it an uphill battle? Yes. I will be, I will be blatantly honest with you. It's an uphill battle because a lot of people out there aren't going to read, don't want to read their Bibles today. We may be one of those people. But there is an answer. There is, there is things that we can do. And again, it starts with us as individuals. And it begins with daily devotional Bible reading. Again, this is where Edwin would sort of poke fun at me. Because, I, because I'll, I'll admit to you, I do good with this for a while. I stay consistent, and I do it, I read it, I talk about it, I'll I'll post a thought about it, and then eventually it starts to drop off, and I get distracted. I see some people shaking their heads. I think you know where we're going. But the, the truly blessed person feeds upon the Word of God on a daily basis. On a daily basis, we spend time thinking about it, reading about it, praying about the Word of God. We started there a minute ago. Go over to Psalm chapter 1 with me. Psalm chapter 1 is such a beautiful psalm and it's such a wonderful way to open the book. Psalm chapter 1, David says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the seat of, or, nor stands in the, in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by, by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. What a beautiful picture of someone who loves the Word of God so much that they dwell in it, they meditate on it day and night. It's the idea that the Word of God is always on our minds. When we first get up in the morning, we spend time reading about the Word of God, and we think about it, and as the day goes on, we, we think about from time to time what we read, and we find a way of applying what we read that morning to our life. And then at night, as we go to bed, perhaps we read some more, or we reread the passage we read that morning, and we pray about it, and we think about it. And we allow that to become such a part of our life that if we miss a day, we feel like we've just missed something. Later in Psalm 119, I know I'm jumping, I'm jumping back and forth from Psalm 1 to Psalm 119 a lot. I should have told you to keep your marker there. In Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97, David, David says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. The person who spends time feeding upon the Word of God will be blessed. Not only we'll be blessed throughout our, throughout our day because we, we have that encouragement. We have that daily spending time with God's Word. A systematic practice of, of prayerfully reading through the Bible 
as part of our daily devotion. It will bring us closer to God. It will bring us closer to our brethren. If we're all reading about it, we're all talking about it, we're all excited about it, we're going to share. We're going to talk to each other about it. And it's going to begin to affect our lives. And it's, it's the idea that as each one of us grows closer to God, what are we drawing closer to? I think about it in, in a sort of a triangle sense as God being at the top and you and I are down here at the bottom. And as we draw closer to God, what are we doing? We're drawing closer to each other. And as each one of us is reading and, becoming, and we're becoming more like what God wants us to be, we're going to be drawing closer together. We're going to be encouraging one another and strengthening one another and building each other up. I think another thing along these lines is that we, we engage ourselves in frequent in-depth Bible study with others. You know, it's a wonderful thing that we are allowed the freedom to gather here really whenever we want to and gather and study the Word of God and participate and open the Word of God and ask questions about what does it say and why does it say that and what does that mean to me. We can go to our Bible class and we can engage in studies such as this. You know, the, tr- the, the person who truly values the Word of God understands that these times are so precious because it's the opportunity for brothers and sisters to get together and to talk about the Word of God and to all focus on it. Why do you think the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 10 to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together? Because there's edification that is involved. There's encouragement that takes place. There's the building up of the body of Christ. But on top of that, I believe a very important point that needs to be made, and this is Honestly, this is not the first time I've preached this lesson, but this is a point that I recently added to this lesson. I think something very critically important is that parents accept their God-given responsibility to pass along the knowledge of God to their children. We can all turn over if we would like, and we're not going to if you don't have to turn there. I keep, I keep sending you back to the Old Testament, but if you turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're all very familiar with it, where he talks about taking the Word of God and it being something that you talk about when you rise up and when you lie down and when you walk and when you sit. And it, it's the idea of that everything is, is, is about the Word of God. Everything is about talking about God and about instilling in, in the next generation that love for God and that passion for serving Him. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 as Paul here is talking about these family relationships, and he talks about the children obeying the, the, the parents, but then to honor the father and the mother. And then he gets, get, comes down to verse 4, and he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. I believe one of the greatest disservices that I could ever do for, for, for my daughters is to not talk to them about the Word of God. It's to not help them to see how how amazing the grace is of God that we talked about this morning. How, to to not show them how great it is to read the Word of God and to think about it and to study about it. Because if we don't do that for our kids and for our grandkids, what's going to happen is exactly what happened in the days following the death of Joshua and a generation will arise that doesn't know God. And if you look around for the majority of society, that's what's happened. 
Because parents grew up going to church, but then they never turned around and never taught their children. Yeah, they may have brought them to Bible class, but, their, but, but the children never saw the parents sitting down and reading the Word of God and talking about it over the dinner table and bringing it up in everyday discussion. You see, if we're going to help stamp out this problem of illiteracy that we're talking about concerning the Bible, that has to involve teaching the generation that's coming next. And as those of you with, with kids know, and I'm learning every day, that generation that comes next, man, they're, they're like sponges. They're soaking up every little detail. They're observing every little thing. Emma sometimes asks questions about conversations that Joellen and I are having, and we didn't even know she was listening to it. So what if she hears us talking about the Word of God all the time? What if, what if she hears us all the time discussing this? What's she going to pick up? This is something that's important. This is something that I should listen to you, and hopefully that's something that she carries on with. But a final point that I'll make is that if we're going to stamp out this problem, if we're going to do our part to, to make sure that this, that this famine for the Word that we talked about doesn't take place, we have to require that preachers fulfill their duty to the Word. You know, preachers are to give heed to the Word of God and they're to preach it. What was it that, that Paul encouraged Timothy? 1 Timothy chapter 4, what did he tell him to do? Very simple. Three straight words. Preach the Word. He didn't say, he, he encouraged Timothy, don't get caught up in these genealogies. Don't get caught, caught up in this useless babbling. Preach the Word. That's what you're to be concerned with. He tells, he tells Timothy to spend time reading the Word so that no one would disregard his youth. Spend time engaging yourself in the Word so that you can go forward and you can preach it and so that you can teach others and they can teach others also. You see, what we have to demand whenever Edwin stands up here or I stand up here or James or Kurt or whoever it is or whatever visiting preacher comes and they stand up here and they proclaim to us, we need to demand that they preach it to us the Word of God and nothing else. Not getting caught up in useless babblings, not getting concerned with all the, the trendy things that are going on. Teach us the Word. Maybe it steps on our toes a little bit. Maybe it makes us uncomfortable. Maybe it's going to cause us to realize that we have to make some changes in our life. But brethren, what we have to demand, if we want to be pleasing to God, if we want to be as what God wants us to be, then the Word is what has to be preached. We should expect, expect preachers to be men of the book. Preaching and teaching the Word of God, providing, ex, uh, providing scriptures for us to live our life by. When I first put this lesson together, I put it together after reading a, uh, an article by a man by the name of Albert Moeller. He wrote an article called uh, The Scandal of Biblical, Biblical Illiteracy. It's our problem. And I want to end with just a, uh, his concluding paragraph, because I think they're right on the mark. And again, since he, since he sort of inspired me to do this lesson, I'm going to give him credit and I'm going to read to you his, his concluding thoughts and then the lesson will be yours and we'll be, we'll be done for this evening. As he concluded his article, this is what he said. He said, Churches must recover the centrality and urgency of biblical teaching and preaching and refuse to sideline the teaching ministry of the preacher. Pastors and churches too busy or too distracted to make biblical knowledge a central aim of ministry will produce believers who simply do not know enough to be faithful disciples. 
We will not believe more than we know, and we will not live higher than our beliefs. The many fronts of Christian compromise in this generation can be directly traced to biblical illiteracy in the pews and the absence of biblical preaching and teaching in our homes and in our churches. I think he's exactly right. Finally, he says, this generation must, must get deadly serious about the problem of biblical illiteracy. For a frighteningly large number, number of Americans, Christians included, will go on thinking that Sodom and Gomorrah lived happily ever after. And he's right. If we don't make it our charge to make sure that the Word of God is preserved in our homes and in our church, let me rephrase that, in our congregation and in our lives, then there, there's going to arise a time when, when the generation does not know God any longer. And it's not going to be because God has not revealed His Word. It's because we have mistreated and we have misused it by not using it. 